Friends, if you read the newsletter this month, how many of you actually do that? Okay, all right. That's impressive and unexpected. Um, if you read the newsletter this month, you'll know that, that one of my goals for this year is for us as a congregation to, to impart as, as who we are, as part of our DNA, a culture of generosity. And I want us to be a congregation that wakes up every morning and, and our first thought is, what can we do today that is above what is expected to be generous to our church, to our families, to our community? And one of the ways that we're going to do that is, is through some preaching and some teaching and some practice. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to be both available and willing. Let me pray for us, and we're going to study the scriptures. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. We pray now that you would help us do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. So somewhere back in the late 1990s, Ecker College opened up a brand new building. And much like the college itself changed its entire name as a result of a generous donation from Jack Eckerd, this building also was named after its main benefactor, John Marks Templeton. He was an American-born British stock investor. Now, it's one thing to have your name written on the side of a building at a small liberal arts college in Florida. But it turns out that there is also a Templeton building on the campus of Princeton Theological Seminary in New Jersey. And guess where that came from? John Marks Templeton. John Marks Templeton was a Presbyterian. Eckerd happens to be a Presbyterian college. Princeton is a Presbyterian seminary. He was a member of the Presbyterian Church in Inglewood, New Jersey. Now, it is one thing to have your name on two buildings on a single continent, but over at Oxford University, there is the Templeton College for Business and Management Studies. And you might think that this too is named after John Marks Templeton, but you would be wrong because he named it after his parents. He also established the Templeton Library in Swanee, Tennessee, the Templeton Foundation, and created the Templeton Prize, which is awarded to, and I quote, those who have made exceptional contribution to affirming life's spiritual dimension whether through insight, discovery, or practical works, I have no idea what that means. But it would seem to me that John Marks was a pretty generous guy. He also happened to be a billionaire. Now, I have to confess that there is a bold-faced lie of assumption that most of us are going to make regarding this story. And that lie is this, that you have to be a billionaire to be generous. Now, not only is that a lie, but it's also used as a comforting excuse for many of the non-billionaires of the world to excuse themselves from being generous people. Generosity has very, very little to do with the amount of money that you have in your bank account. Generosity is all about going above and beyond what would be typically expected of you in any given situation. 
And often, that happens completely apart from money. So, for example, conventional social wisdom says that the polite thing to do if you see somebody coming is to hold the door open for them. That's, that would be to be expected. That's not generous. However, if you hold the door for a little old lady and you notice as you're holding the door for this little old lady that she is carrying a bag that is very, very heavy and you offer to carry that bag to the car, well then, then we can start having a conversation about generosity. And when you look at generosity that way, you'll quickly discover two things. First, all of us, all of us, every single day have the option to be generous and generosity is a choice and second all of us have the capacity to be full-blown philanthropists even if our name never makes it on the top of any building anywhere so today we're going to talk about a guy whose name is barely barely mentioned in scripture and I guarantee you is not even found so much on the back of a chair in some boardroom in some big building named after somebody who is way more important which is a good thing because he has a really hard name to pronounce it's Epaphroditus Epaphroditus he's mentioned twice in all of scripture in this verse and then a verse about two chapters on Epaphroditus has not made the list of most common baby names in recent years but back in the day way back in the day it was actually a very common greek name because epaphroditus was named after the greek goddess aphrodite and this is important to know because epaphroditus then was not somebody who grew up in the faith he wasn't a sunday school kid wasn't a confirmation kid wasn't somebody whose mom and dad dragged him to church week after week most likely he was a pagan. But something must have changed from his original life that caused him to be recorded in Scripture. And what we can tell is that Epaphroditus encountered Jesus. And something in that encounter with our Lord and Savior changed his whole life. And the reason that we know that it changed his whole life is today we're going to study a, a, a story about a man who walked who walked 800 miles to do something for the kingdom of God here on earth. One of the primary motivators of generosity is connection. So we give of our time and our interest and our money and our resources to the places where we feel the most connected. Epaphroditus was connected to Jesus Christ, connected to his mission, connected to his work and ministry in the world. We don't have any of the details of that at all. We have no idea how a pagan named after a Greek goddess came to know Jesus, the Savior of the world. But what we do know is that whatever that connection was, whatever precipitated that, was so compelling, so compelling that he was willing to walk 800 miles to do something in support of that connection. So as a reference, that would be like one of us starting here in Bradenton and walking all the way to Richmond, Virginia. And it's not just the mileage that's impressive, but consider the amount of time that this would have taken. 
optimistically, let's say that he covers 30 miles a day nonstop, you're still looking at the better part of a month to make this trip happen. Now, it's, it's one thing to drop off a piece of paper for a friend on the way home from work. It is generous to give up a month of your life, your health, your income, to go and do something for somebody else, which is exactly how Paul records his encounter with Epaphroditus to the people of Philippi. So when you come into this scripture, Epaphroditus has already made the journey. He's already there with Paul. Paul is in prison. Paul writes, Still, I think it's necessary to send to you, Epaphroditus, my brother and co-worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need, for he's been longing for all of you, and he's been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He was indeed so ill that he actually nearly died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, in order that you may rejoice in being able to see him again, and that I may be less anxious. Welcome him, then, in the Lord with all joy, and honor such people, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life, making up for the services that you could not give me. So what happens is we have the Apostle Paul, he's in prison, and as a missionary, much like missionaries today, he is reliant on the help and on the generosity of the churches that he has connections to. Paul was a church planter. And so he is continuing on his missionary work, even from a prison cell, and he is dependent on the churches that support him to, to be able to live. Now, we are not talking about a lavish lifestyle here. We're talking about somebody who's living in a prison cell. So we're talking about somebody who's looking for things like paper and ink and basic life, life things to survive. So on some level, there was this certain expectation that all of the churches that Paul was connected to would contribute to Paul's care. That was a basic expectation. Just like there continues to be a basic expectation that people would contribute to their churches today for the things that really aren't all that sexy. Things like light bulbs and toilet paper and stamps. These are not the types of things that stir hearts and, and, and create great passion, but they feel like more like obligations because, well, the truth is they're the basic expectations of the cost of doing business. So a lot of the churches did that. They did the basic. But the Philippians felt compelled to do something more. And most churches, especially churches like ours, feel compelled to do something more than that. That said, where a lot of churches get hung up is in the actual doing part. It is great to embrace generosity as an ideal or as an abstract concept or, or something that, that somebody else should do but we should all get credit for. But to be truly generous is something that must actually be done. If you want to be generous, be generous. And the Philippians decided that they needed to send a personal representative they didn't want to just send the supplies that were expected of them. 
they wanted to send a personal representative, a face-to-face pastor, a counselor, somebody that Paul could count on. Sounds great in theory, doesn't it? We'll just send somebody. It's like saying, oh, Tom is so sick in the hospital. We could send him some cards. Somebody should really go visit him. Great thought. Who's going? So for the Philippians, it was Epaphroditus. We don't know if he was asked. We don't know if he volunteered. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He's the one that went. We have no record of Epaphroditus doing anything extraordinary up to this point that made him seem like an ideal candidate. There's nothing to indicate that he was capable of preaching sermons, that he built any churches, that he studied the word, or even for that matter, that the guy knew how to hike 800 miles. But even without any of those details, there are two things that we can conclude from this passage. Epaphroditus was both available and willing. The two things are intimately connected, and they set up a basic framework for what it means to be generous. If you are willing to do something, especially if it's something that you're connected to and that you care about, you're going to make yourself available. For example, Fridays are, in theory, my day off, in theory. So when, that's when I tend to schedule things like doctor's appointments or other life business sort of things. Coincidentally, they happen to also be the days when most of my kids' classroom parties are held. So when the inevitable email from the teachers show up, because I am willing because I'm connected to my kids, because I care about my kids and their teachers and their classroom, because I'm willing, I then make myself available, even if that means rescheduling those long-held appointments or other things that I'd love to be doing. If you are not willing to do something, it is super easy to make yourself unavailable. We call that excuse-making. Study after study in both religious and non-religious circles has shown that contrary to popular belief, busy people are the most likely to be generous with their time. And busy, by the definition that they use, are people whose schedules are mandated by economic obligations. People who work. People who don't always have control over the schedule. And the fact that these studies are consistent across the board shows that availability is always, always driven by willingness. Essentially, even those who are driven by a schedule that they have little control over, they will find the time to do the things that they care about the most. So Epaphroditus found the time. And by any standard, 800 miles, almost a month, is far and above what could reasonably have been expected of anybody at that time. So what can be said then is that Epaphroditus was exceedingly generous. Back then, that that might have even risen to the level of John Mark's Templeton generosity. But then something happened. Something happened to Epaphroditus. He got ill. Apparently, he was so ill that he almost died. At least that's what Paul says in his letter. And his illness delayed his return. And the longer he was gone, 
the more folks back home had time to speculate as to what was going on. It's interesting, none of them were out there on that 800-mile journey, but they had plenty of time to talk about what had gone wrong with Epaphroditus. And so what started out as a generous gesture was now being interpreted as a malfeasance of service. Perhaps Epaphroditus was lazy, or, or he had just taken the trip to do something for his own personal gain. And so Paul felt compelled to get this letter back to the Philippians to say, actually, guys, listen, he was really sick, and he heard, he heard that you all had been talking about him and speculating, and I'm sending you this letter to tell you that this guy almost died, died doing something that, that none of the rest of you were willing to do. One of the greatest sins that can undercut generosity is speculation and gossip from those who themselves are not necessarily generous or who are envious of those who are generous. And Paul wanted to nip that in the bud immediately for Epaphroditus because generosity is never about competition or comparison. When we view it that way, if generosity is about competition and comparison, then we're always going to find those excuses not to be generous. Well, I could never give what John Marks Templeton gave, so I just won't give at all. And besides, you know, the only reason that he gave was so that his name would be up on the side of a building. Nothing about that reflects the heart of generosity. If every one of us, if every single one of us made ourselves willing and available. Willing and available. Notice, I, I didn't ask you about your bank account, how much money you make, how much money you give. All I asked is, if you made yourself willing and available, even to the smallest degree, it would change the world. In order to do that, though, we have to come at it with humility and give up self-righteousness. Because it's not about what everybody else is doing. It's about you deciding to be generous all on your own. So instead, what Paul suggests is that all of the people celebrate Epaphroditus upon his return. Generosity is something that should be celebrated. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to throw a ticker tape parade every single time one of us sees somebody make a generous act. That's not what he's saying. Even if it's just a joyful celebration in the heart, it's worth recognizing and giving thanks for. Because generosity, when it's celebrated, inspires more generosity. This is why when you hear stories like Alex's lemonade stand, little kids doing something that is above and beyond what's expected of them, that's why when you look at those stories, you're like, I, I could do that. If an eight-year-old could do that, I could do that. As Christians, our inspiration for generosity comes to us in the sacrificial giving of Jesus' life for us. He didn't have to. Don't ever forget that. He didn't have to. We didn't make a compelling case with all of our good deeds and, and all of our exceptional accomplishments. If anything, humanity could have barely, barely made the case for the bare minimum of what could be expected of any deity, maybe just that we be allowed to live another day. But God loves us far more than the bare minimum. 
If we could expect to live another day, God's generosity makes it possible for us to live another day fully and then to live every day after that fully through all of eternity. Epaphroditus was impacted by Jesus' generosity that he made it a priority to make himself available and willing. This year, as we work towards being a congregation of generosity that is filled with everyday, ordinary philanthropists, our first step is for each and every one of us to ask ourselves, what has been our encounter with Jesus Christ? And is that connection so compelling enough that we're getting ready to make ourselves willing and available for whatever the need may be? Are we going to be generous, especially when it comes to serving in his church? Ultimately, ultimately, when we can answer that question with all truth, then we will be able to acknowledge that perhaps going through the motions of just what's expected of us is not really who we want to be. And that, in fact, we want to be a congregation that is exceedingly generous. Let's pray together. Holy God, sometimes we, we get so consumed with what's expected of us that we forget to look for those opportunities to be generous. Help us to just look around every single day and see those places where we could do just, just even a little bit more than what might be expected of us that has the potential to change the world. In your name we pray. Amen.